Go for it. What's up, creeps? Hello, creeps. We remembered this time. Yeah. All right, so from last week, we are going to... This is our first ever two-part story. So we all know what to expect this week, right? If you were listening last week, and if you're a good fan, you did. <laughs> um, then you'll know what I'll be on about. Okay. And... Um, or maybe you're a new listener and this is actually your first episode that you're trying out. If so, don't worry. You're just going to listen in reverse. <laughs> you're going to know what's coming in the, the episode before this. You're going to listen in reverse, yeah. You're going to know that John Lennon was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll pick up um, more methods of execution. Yeah, source is still the same. Uh, Jeffrey Abbott from the Book of Execution. And we're going to start out the episode with cannibalism. Fuck yeah. All right. Um, and for you older viewers, uh, Cannibal Corpse. What? <laughs> Nothing. All right. So cannibalism. Practiced by some American. Tr- Practiced by some African tribes. Earlier this century, this method of execution was a traditional rite inflicted upon those committing adultery. Wow. Yeah, so watch out, Adam. (laughs) Stay in line or I'll eat you. After judgment had been passed by the village elders, the doomed couple were stripped naked and tied to posts sunk deep in the ground, about four feet apart facing each other. Water, but no food was given to them, the water being heavily salted. Yikes. I've never drank... Salt water? Salt water before. It's fucking disgusting. What the, so it's supposed to dehydrate you, right? Yeah, it makes you very sick. Oh, it makes you sick? Well, okay. I'm assuming by dehydration. I've never drank enough where I've actually had like... Yeah. All right. So after 24 hours, the man would be asked whether he wanted any food. And this is where he gets really sick. Regardless of his reply, because, you know, they don't give a shit. The executioner wielding a panga, which is a long, wide bladed knife, would then slice off a portion of the woman's breast and force it into the man's mouth. Wow. His assistant, you know, the executioner's assistant. Yeah. Staunching the gaping wound to prevent too much loss of blood. The action would then be repeated in reverse. The woman being fed with some of her lover's flesh. Jesus Christ. The procedure watched by all of the villagers would continue. The executioner prolonging the ordeal by taking care not to sever arteries or cut vital organs with a panga. Until one of the victims died. When, like, th- they knew this when they were setting out. Yeah. Like on their affair. Yeah, that that's insane. Wow. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> you know, we could get caught or we couldn't. We could have this one night stand and risk eating each other. Yeah. And dying. Jesus. I don't understand. Let's do it. I don't understand it either. <laughs> Anyways, 
um, when the victim died, the corpse's flesh would be fed to the other until the other person would also die. Okay. Yeah, makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So I'm going to continue on and tell you um, something that doesn't really have to do with... I mean, they did this to punish, right? They did this to punish people who were doing something bad or, you know, what they considered bad or wrong. But this story has something to do... Like, like imagine if you were in a tribe or ruled by someone who had acquired a taste for flesh and would condemn people, you know, to pun- to be punished or die in a certain way so that they could get their fix of human flesh. Imagine that. Okay. Because it happened. <laughs> wow. In the 19... 19- so we're going to go to the 1930s to the village of Afik Itu in Nigeria. The headman, Epi... It's just E-P-E, kind of like Cher, that's his name. (laughs) E-P had developed a taste for human flesh and having complete authority in the village, condemned offenders to death with his appetite in mind. So his ulterior motives, right? (laughs) The victims were trussed like chickens. Sharp hooks being thrust through their back muscles so that attached to chains They could be swung over a roaring fire from a tripod. There, they were roasted alive as if on a spit. When done to a turn, the bodies were cut down to be eaten by Epi and others, the headman selecting the choicest morsels the livers for himself. Although reports of the atrocities filtered through to the British authorities, punitive expeditions proved futile, and it was many years before Epi was tracked down and brought to justice. So he he lasted a good while while mm-hmm. eating all these specifically yeah. human livers. Yeah, you could say he had his fill. <laughs> 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 the next method is death by cauldron, which would be, I guess, boiled alive. No, they just beat you to death with a cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're being broken by the wheel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Here we go. And one of the many ways in which devout Christian believers were martyred was by means of the cauldron. The heretic tied down securely on a bench would have a cauldron or large metal bowl placed upside down on his bare stomach. I think we know where this is going. The bowl covered a number of dormice, which... After a fire had been kindled on top of the bowl, would be driven into a frenzy by the increasing heat, and after scuttling madly around, would eventually bury their way out through the victim's stomach and entrails. Nice. In Germany, they used cats. Jesus. Instead of mice. Well, I don't know which one would be worse, to be honest. Yeah. Your boat sounds fucking awful. I know. Uh, This was done in the 17th century uh, for the persecution of the Protestants by the Catholic Church. A large cage was placed on the victim's stomach and tied there with straps a feral cat, then would be introduced into the cage and tormented by the executioner and his assistants using sharp pointed sticks. 
Finally, the maddened animal clawed its way into the flesh and bowels of the victim. Ay, caramba. <laughs> Come the fuck on. Uh, and certain tribes also practiced this in Central Africa. The offender was stripped and staked out on the ground and an inverted tin box firmly attached to his stomach, its contents being fearsome soldier ants. Ah. No application of heat was necessary. Uh, the ants in due time eventually eat it, eat it ate their way through the victim's abdomen in order to escape. Fuck. So the next method is called the Cave of Roses. This was rare um, and it comes from Sweden. So a victim would be confined in a cave which was already filled with a bunch of snakes and poisonous reptiles. In the darkness, he would then be stung or bitten to death. The use of the cave for such a purpose was abolished by King Gustavus III in 1772. So they called this the Cave of Roses. Where did they even get all these animals? and or Like the reptiles and shit, you know? I mean, and like Sweden, you wouldn't think they even had it in them. <laughs> the next method is called siphon. Uh, again, like the Cave of Roses was also rare. Um, and it was described by the Greek dra dramatist. Dramatist? I would say dramat dramatist. Dramatist. Say it Aristophanes. So I, ha I can say Greek names better than <laughs> I can say English words. Um, who was alive between 448 through 388 B.C.? Um, so anyways, it was described that a naked victim was secured by his neck and wrist in the pillory, then left to endure the burning rays of the sun and the attacks of stinging insects, which were attracted by a mixture of milk and honey with which he had been smeared. Smeared. That reminds <laughs> me of that one movie, um, The Birdcage, where um, Robin Williams was teaching... Uh, Nathan, Nathan something. He was basically, there were like two gay dudes in Miami and uh, the, the, their son's fiance's parents were going to come over. And yeah, because they were right. like conservatives, right. they had to teach him how to be manly yeah, to like yeah. fool them. And so he was teaching them how to, um, he was teaching them how to smear butter onto a toast. So he's like, put your pinky down, put your pinky down. He's like, and, and men don't dab mustard onto their toast. They smear. <laughs> Straight men smear. <laughs> Jesus. Um, should he against all odds survive for 20 days, he was taken down and as a degradation dressed in women's clothes before being escorted by large crowds to the cliffs. And he was just yeeted off those cliffs. Jokes on you. I love wearing women's clothes. <laughs> So what do you think of that? Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> At least you get to wear a dress. Yeah, I guess. If you make it that long. Yeah. So the next method is called deal or DLE. So this originates from the 15th century. Instead of having a guillotine, the blade of which requires tall uprights in order to gain momentum. 
why not have two short uprights? Then simply rest the blade on the nape of the kneeling victim's neck and hit the top of the blade with a mallet, thus driving the victim the cutting edge into and hopefully through the victim's neck. I mean, yeah. Yeah, right? That seems... Less costly, more efficient. Well, at the at the same time, it's almost like wielding that axe because what if you miss the blade completely? Because the mallet, is, I would imagine, is just as like you'd be bumbling around with that shit and you hit the person in the head instead of that blade. No, I'm sure it's like one big, huge mallet, like basically just a big chunk of wood on the end of a stick. Yeah, I guess we're... Well, then again, I guess we're just assuming. Um. Okay, so... The next one is death by drowning. This one's interesting. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) This one is. In Nuremberg in the 16th century, women who were guilty of infanticide were enclosed in a sack taken to a platform that was built over the river Pegnitz and thrown into the water. And there they were kept submerged. That's like drowning cats. Yeah, they just put her in a bag and yeah. put her under the water. And fucked her off, yeah. And yeeted. I'm really liking that word right now. Yeah. Yeeted. I'm not sure I do like it. I'm not sure the <laughs> origin of the word. What, yeeted? Yeah. I could be using it wrong, but that's part of the mystery of the word Ooh. yeet for me. <laughs> <laughs> During the French Revolution, it was easier and this is why they did it. It was easier to put a ton of people in a boat and just sink it. Seems like a waste of a boat, though. Yeah, I bet if it's shitty. Yeah, I guess. Mm, It was faster than the guillotine and less wasteful than shooting because shooting, you know, you would waste like the balls and the gunpowder. Catholic prisoners had their hands and feet tied and dumped into the lorry. Okay. Uh, Deputy Lamberty of the Revolutionary Army would boast about how many people's lives he ended by saying things like, he already sent 2,800 brigands to the national bath. What a dick. You know, That's like, nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So the next method we're going to talk about is dry pan. It, dry pan. It, it's a part of the repertoire of the Spanish Inquisition as written from John Merchant's book called The History of the Inquisition. Anyways, in this book, he recounts a story of a girl told in her own words. Basically, she she's seen the dry pen method, this girl, and um, her story just gets me. It's so sad. Be- I, it just so it plays on um, the things that I hold near and dear to my heart. So you just feel so bad for the girl, you know? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what this was when you signed up for it. <laughs> All right. Um so, right, um, this is from the book, The History of the Inquisition, written in 1770. And she, and she says, Early in the morning, the maid, Mary, got up and told me that no one in the house was yet up and that she would show me the dry pan and gradual fire on condition that I should keep it secret for her sake and mine too, which I, having promised her, She took me along with her and showed me a dark room with a thick iron door and within it an oven 
with an immense brass pan upon it, with a cover of the same, and a lock to it. The oven was burning at that time, and I asked Mary for what use the pan was there, and she, without giving me any answer, took me by the hand out of that place and led me into a large room where she showed me a thick wheel covered on both sides with thick boards and opening a little window in the center of it, desired me to look with a candle on the inside of it and saw that all the circumference of the wheel was set with sharp razors and after that she showed me a pit full of serpents and toads. Then she said to me, Now, my good mistress, I will tell you the use of these three things. The dry pan and the gradual fire are for heretics and those who oppose the Holy Father's will and pleasure, for they are put naked and alive into the pan, and cover of it being locked up. The executioner begins to put it in the oven, put into the oven a small fire, and by degrees he augmenteth it till the body is reduced to ashes. The second is designed for those that speak against the Pope and the Holy Fathers, for they are put within the wheel and the little door being locked. The executioner turns the wheel, thereby piercing their flesh with the knives and mutilating them sorely until they are dead. And the third is for those that condemn the images and refuse to give due respect and veneration to ecclesiastical persons, for they are thrown into the pit and there they become food for the serpents and toads. So the reason why this hit me was like, you feel so bad for the girl is because later on she just basically says, um, so we went to my room, you know, after seeing all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, because this chick, that's just a maid, right? This is a girl. Yeah, 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 but the maid is that just That has a maid. Her. Well, I mean, think about it. Girls who have maids have money. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, this is just a maid, like, one day being like, come here and I'll show you this. But there's a reason why she's telling her this. I'm oh, about to okay. tell you. So we went to my room and she charged me again to be very obedient to all the commands Don Francisco should give me, or to be assured that if it, if I did not, that I would undergo the torment of the dry pan. Indeed, I conceived such a horror for the gradual fire that I was not mistress of my senses, nay, nor of my thoughts. So I told Mary that I would follow her advice and grant Don Francisco everything he desired me to do. Uh. That's why dicks yep that's why we should not trust organized religion yeah okay let's move on so eaten by animals is the method that follows this one okay okay dope so often happened in the amphitheaters in rome when judiciaries decided to couple punishment and entertainment using the christian martyrs once more saint Benignus? Benignus? Uh, don't fucking ask me. Uh. Anyways, he was thrown into the arena with 12 savage and half-starved dogs. But before he was thrown in there, uh, red-hot bradals, I'm guessing like little spikies, 
<laughs> were first inserted into their fingernails. So like the just the person's fingernails? No, into the dogs just to piss them off even oh, more, Jesus I guess. Saint Blendina was swathed in a net and tossed into an arena with wild bulls. And then after they just tossed her around for a bit, you know, possibly mutilating her. Uh, afterwards, they they slit her throat. Uh, the use of leftbirds and bears and boars were also common. Victims would be forced onto a platform. The trap door would be released and people would fall into a cage underneath being eaten alive by animals. Centuries later, Negus of Absinthia uh, discovered that one of his servants was plotting to kill him. So he sentenced him to have his tongue cut out, his right hand amputated, and then turned loose in the desert to be attacked and eaten by hyenas. And you know how fucking savage hyenas are. I think, like, I'll wait until we're done, but I think that could be up at, high up on my list of the ones that I would choose, you know, if it was going to be put to death. Really? Yeah. Mm. Let the animals have me. I would rather an animal eat me than fucking King Epe. I'd rather die in my sleep. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm... (laughs) But that's... Call me (laughs) old-fashioned, I would rather die in the arms of a loved one. (laughs) All right, so... So I'm going to describe being eaten by crocodiles. <laughs> chomp, chomp. Yeah. Chomp, chomp, chomp. It, it's over. Roll. Lols. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Natives of the Igbo tribe of Nigeria on committing adultery once more. Yes. Hmm. Were sentenced by the elders to this ghastly method of execution. The couple were stripped naked and tied together this time. And forced to copulate before the crowd of villagers. Google copulate. I mean, pressure's on. Yeah. I don't know if I could perform under such circumstances. So they were forced to copulate, but they were also accompanied with music of drums and whistles. That's just so degrading. Eventually, the witch doctor and the two executioners would approach the couple the latter men proceeding to drive a long wooden stake through their bodies as they lay on the ground. Like a kebab. Like from top to bottom or yeah. through the middle? Okay. No, like through the middle. Oh, okay. Through both of them. Yeah. Like imagine you have two pieces of bacon that are on top of each other on your plate <laughs> and you stab them both with yeah. your fork. Yeah. That's what happens. Leading a procession formed by all of the villagers... And subjected to shouts of abuse and vilification, the victims would then be half dragged, half carried to the banks of the sacred pool where the smell of blood having attracted the crocodiles, the two would be then hurled into the water, there to be dragged below the surface in a swirling mass of foam and blood, never to be seen again. I should hope not. (laughs) That's crazy, right? It's fucking nuts. Like the tribal forms of execution are just so fucking savage. So the last one that we'll talk about today um, is a little bit uh, compared to the others, a palate cleanser. 
this is the electric chair. Now, I'm not going to give you uh, like a condensed version of any of these because to do so would be hours. Right? Would, would be hours. I'm not going to do that. Okay. We won't put you through that. Yeah, we don't. And if you want that, buy his book. It's really fucking good. <laughs> it's, again, Jeffrey Abbott, the, books of, the book of execution. Buy his book. Give him your money. <laughs> give us money, too, if you want. I mean, fuck <laughs> it. While we're on it. Or take a history course in this shit. Okay. So the electric chair. The first person to be executed by this method was murderer William Kemmler in 1890 in the U.S., one electrode was attached to his shaved head, another to the base of his spine. His head was then covered by a black mask, and he was strapped into the chair. He received two hits. The first was 700 volts for 17 seconds. The second was 1,030 volts after two minutes. Like, there was a two-minute interval in between, I mean. Sorry, I, I didn't know how to English there. So that's why I was asking you the other day, because you have a background in murdering people. You're basically a sparky. So you know about like volts and all this other stuff that's like foreign to me. Anyways, um, so you like just to give them an idea of how much of volts that is, like what is 700 volts and a thousand volts? Like what would you use that to power? Uh, like heavy industrial machinery, generally. That's crazy. Yeah, like a lot more than what you would use to just power like your microwave or your kettle. So this guy got that. Afterwards, uh, the people who were there reported to smell uh, burning cloth and charred flesh until finally the man was dead. The post-mortem on this man revealed that the portion of the brain beneath the headpiece had hardened. The flesh under the lower electrode being burned through the spine fuck they identified that further development was necessary yeah no shit <laughs> <laughs> eventually there were three points of contact one to the head and one on each ankle the amount of voltage was also uh reassessed too little currents caused agony and too much literally grilled the flesh and fried the brain so imagine like the path of one to the other you know like how many brains did they have to fry yeah. and how many people did they have to like basically torture before they were dying or dead rather anyways instead of a continuous flow of electricity uh two charges of one minute each were separated by 10 second intervals so that's what they ended up um what they decided on so one charge that lasted a minute and then they'd wait 10 seconds and then give you another it was calculated that in order to bring about the unconscious bring about unconsciousness and reducing pain 2000 volts was needed okay okay so what would you use 2000 volts for like an entire building yeah like that's that's what i was trying to explain it's that's not how it's measured you know what i mean oh, it I all see. depends on the actual the current the amp mm. amperage okay um so it's hard to kind of communicate but like just for example I've been electrocuted by 220 volts mm -hmm. and 110 volts. I couldn't tell you the difference. Oh. They were both fucking... Were they painful? I hate it. <laughs> it's not so much painful. It's just the most uncomfortable, like, unexpected 
Well, I guess this guy was expecting it. Yeah. But like you, you lose all body function. Like, you know what I mean? Your hands lock up and like open up on their own and shit. That's it's, crazy. It's weird. Yeah. All right. So I got a horror story about the chair for you, Adam. A horror story? A horror story. A horse story. A horse story? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If you're, if you're talking Edison, he probably fried a horse. Yeah. Um. All right. So perhaps the most horrific tragedy was played out in Florida State Prison on the 4th of May of 1990 when murderer Jesse Teferro was executed. As to be expected, with reporters forming the greater part of the witnesses, media coverage was extensive with few grisly details omitted. That's true. Like back in the day, like they told you everything in the fucking papers. Yeah, that's what we relish now still. One journalist described how after the first surge of current, the victim's body jerked backwards, smoke and sparks emanating from behind the hood. Jesus Christ. The next charge produced more smoke and even small flames. But it was evident to all the spectators that the man was still breathing. It was not until a third burst of electricity quelled all the movement of the man's heaving chest that the doctors eventually and belatedly declared him dead. So, what happened? He was tortured. No, I mean, I know, like, what went wrong? They didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Jesus Christ. Because it's literally like in the Green Mile. Yeah. Like when Percy leaves the fucking sponge out. Fucking Percy Whitmore. Piece of shit. Like... The thing, and I'll tell you what they, okay, when they initially developed this, they thought it was humane. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how wrong they were, first of all, um, and because they didn't know what the fuck were, they were doing, uh, electricity was fairly still new, um, and they didn't fucking know how to fry someone, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, everything because... was just wrong. Like it was just like, oh well, it's you know what, and it it sounds really bad, but it's almost like, and you know because several cities, several states, uh, had their chairs and they all did it a different way. Um, it's almost like saying, you know, the correct way to um, fry chicken is this, and then someone from I don't know Mississippi is going to tell me that's not how you fry chicken. This is how you fry chicken. This is how we fry chicken in my house. It's like that, you know. It's like every yeah. everybody's kitchen is different. Yeah, and I do remember like in um, one of my like college phases for becoming an electrician. Yeah, it did come up. There was I can't fucking remember now, but I think it was like fifty milliamps mm-hmm. or something. That's like known to be lethal 50 milliamps that's 51 thousands of an amp you know okay it's a minuscule thing and basically they were saying we don't actually know what the lethal limit is yeah like how much because the test has never been done yeah so it's because you would have to kill somebody exactly exactly so uh like that i mean it is only what 150 years old electricity yeah so that's the thing it's like they didn't know what they were doing coupled with they didn't know what exactly this did to the body and you know like just it was a lot of 
we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, a lot of hit and miss. That's what it was. That's nuts. Poor guy. Well, I guess he was a murderer, so fuck him. But yeah, but I mean that there's there's people that have been convicted that haven't done any crimes. So you know, there's that. So how exactly did death come about with this method? Let's break it down. Death by electrocution would eventually be discovered that um, causes asphyxia. Uh, And then when you have asphyxia, it leads to paralysis. Basically, uh, you just stop breathing. Uh, But death is unlikely immediate. It is also recently discovered that the condemned likely do experience severe pain, although they cannot move because of the paralysis. So... It means that they can feel themselves being burned to death, and, but and they are very much conscious of their inability to breathe. Yeah, because your lungs lungs literally seize. Yeah. Like your muscles seize it. That's so. Okay. Imagine Ugh. like the panic. Yeah, that's horrific. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. And the thing is, what was crazy to me is that, you know, this electric electrocution causes you to get paralyzed, and so that's what they went on they were like oh well this person's not moving so clearly it doesn't hurt so yes we are right in thinking that this is humane yeah so basically no movement equaled no pain yeah that has nothing to do with anything it's just that they were paralyzed they couldn't fucking move they had no choice horrible so that's it for today for methods of execution and i will resume this whenever the fuck i feel like yeah, because right there's on. there's still like an like the last chunk to dole out. Um, yeah, but yeah, but we're gonna hold off on that until people demand more. <laughs> okay, so you're ready for some ghost stories then? Yes, tell them to me. Okay, so my sources this week are theculturetrip.com, royalmile.com, Wikipedia, DailyMail.co.uk historicuk.com, amyscrypt.com, unearthed podcast, Edinburgh even news, evening news, the Scotsman newspaper, hauntedscotland.co.uk, Iowa International Programs website. I think that was from uh, Iowa University. I have written here authentic vacations. I think that's meant to be authenticvacations.com. All right, so who's ready for some history? All right, let's do it. Okay. I think I did these notes a while back, um, but I'm fairly sure I tried to do like compliment sandwich mm-hmm. style uh, here. Interesting. So Edinburgh, the compact hilly capital of Scotland with a population of around 540,000. Mm. Its castle, built on an extinct volcano, is a historic fortress which dominates the skyline of Edinburgh. Archaeologists have established human occupation of the Castle Rock since at least the Iron Age. It's the first city in the world to have its own fire service and has more trees per head than any other city in the UK. Between the 15th and 18th century, there were over 300 women burned alive at the lower end of the Castle Esplanade, where they are commemorated with a small iron drinking fountain known as the Witch's Well. We've seen it. Yeah, we have. This number doesn't actually count how many women stood trial as witches, however. As the only test for witchery during this period period was to bound the accused the accused the accused mm-hmm. 
toes and thumbs, and throw them into the Norlock, which was a man-made lake commissioned by King James III in 1460 to improve castle defences. Originally thought to be a beautiful site, reflecting the magnificent castle, it was a convenient dump for everything and anything, including human excrement. It literally became a gigantic biohazard and eventually fumes and gases such as methane would be concentrated in the small winding streets and cause the locals to start hallucinating. Damn. So by 1759, the year the Guinness started being produced, Mm -hmm. they drained the lake. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival, held held annually, is the largest arts festival in the world. Mm. Obviously not this year, because it's the apocalypse. Apocalypse pony. (laughs) Apocalypse pony. All right, so let's hear about Greyfriars Bobby. In 1850, a gardener called John Gray, unable to find work as a gardener, he managed to avoid the workhouses by joining the Edinburgh police force as a night watchman, which he would literally just walk the streets in the middle of the night. To keep him company through the long wintry nights, John took on a partner, a diminutive Sky Terrier, his watchdog, called Bobby. Cute. Yeah. Together, John and Bobby became a familiar sight, trudging through the old cobble streets of Edinburgh. John, unfortunately, got tuberculosis and died of the disease on February 15th, 1858, and was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard. Bobby stayed by his master's grave and refused to leave. Eventually, the groundskeeper, after trying and trying to get rid of him, gave up and made a little shelter between two table stones at the end of John's grave. Bobby would leave the graveyard for his midday meal at the sound of the one o'clock gun. Because remember at the castle mm-hmm. they used to, yeah. They used to shoot a cannon, or a gun rather, or a cannon. Was I think it, it was cannon? a cannon, yeah, yeah, they just called it the, the gun. Yeah. Um. Anyway, he'd leave the graveyard and follow William Dow, a local joiner and cabinet maker, to the same coffee house that he had frequented with John where he was given a meal. So the locals just started looking after this dog. And in 1867, when a new law required all dogs to be licensed, Sir William Chambers, the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, no fucking clue what that means, paid for Bobby's license and got him a new collar with a brass inscription, Greyfriars Bobby, from the Lord Provost, 1867, licensed. They still have his collar in the Museum of Edinburgh. He stayed at, the, at John's grave for another 14 years until he died in 1872. Today, there is a little statue of Bobby outside the graveyard, a pub named after him and a tombstone proudly standing at the entrance to the cemetery in honour of his loyalty. There have been countless reports of visitors sighting a small ghostly dog within the cemetery and even hearing unexplainable disembodied barks. How sweet. Yeah, cute little dog. So this takes us then, this doesn't take us anywhere. The next story is the Edinburgh Vaults, or the Southbridge Vaults. They are a series of chambers formed in the 19 arches of the South Bridge in Edinburgh, which was, completely it, which was completed in 1788. Originally intended for use as storage and workshops for tradesmen and like whoever, basically small like businessmen, local people. 
and for around 30 years or so they were uh, used for this purpose but they deteriorated pretty quickly thanks to dampness and poor air quality causing businesses to move elsewhere uh, I think there was also a lot of like flooding and just like it sounded fucking horrible but don't worry because the poorest and most desperate of Edinburgh's citizens quickly filled any vacancies and they became a haven for any illegal activities such as gambling, illegal liquor brewing and apparently even used as cadaver storage by the famous grave robbers Burke and Hare. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember Burke and Hare. Yeah. Those evil Irish dudes. I, yeah, I think one of them was Irish. And the other. They were both Irish. Oh, were they? Yeah. Cunts. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it wasn't just by Burke and Hare. They're just the most famous. There was also like, you know, because back then the universities and stuff would have to pay like people like that to get their cadavers so that they could study and, you know, people could improve on medicine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, due to the fact that there was like basically no ventilation or light down there, disease just ran rampant. Yeah, like it thrives down there. Uh, living conditions eventually got so bad that by the 1860s, uh, most of the vaults had been completely cleared out and they even just like filled them up with rubble just to stop people from getting in there and also to prevent uh, floods. So people just forgot about them and they lay abandoned and forgotten for over 100 years until a man named Norrie Rowan, who owned a pub on Southbridge, discovered a section of medieval street below his property which turned out to be an entire underground labyrinth. There are a number of spirits said to live down here. And I will say, I was trying to find information on the other, I think it's the Clare Street vaults, isn't that the... Where that runner got lost? What's that one? There was like some guy, um, there was like two of them or something. Um, I think they found an opening... And they both went down there and they got like turned around and they both got stuck there for a while. Oh, shit. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? <laughs> no. And uh, they eventually got out, but they were like scared to death because these the vaults still have like activity. Oh, yeah. To this day. And they the... are pitch dark. Yeah. So I think what they did was they found because there's several openings. And I think they just found another opening. Just onto the street or something. Yeah. Like. So anyway, these are the most famous spirits that they've kind of put a name to in the Southbridge vaults. Uh, we've got the child, plain and simple. A spirit who wanders through the vaults is a small boy aged about six or seven. He has blonde curly hair with uh, knickerbocker trousers. He is attracted to women and children and has been known to hold hands with visitors and sometimes tug on their clothes. The Cobbler. A happier spirit resides in the cobbler's room. Believed to be a shoemaker from the late 18th century, he is described as a stocky man wearing a long leather apron and a white shirt. The Cobbler is generally felt as a positive presence, although some people have experienced objects being thrown across the room. Uh, also, I will say these uh, little descriptions are actually taken off the signs that are down there mm -hmm. um, that I found on the Iowa University website because that was just basically a tourist blog. The aristocrat. 
This well-to-do gentleman, with a tall black hat and beard, is often seen leaning against the wall between the, the double-height room and the tavern. Arms folded, he watches and grins at people as they pass. He is a very sinister presence in the vaults. And you know, I keep picturing in my head the, uh, you know the dude from Family Guy who's just like a well-to-do gentleman? The guy with the monocle? Yeah. Yeah. The pointy nose. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Just like leaning up against the wall, like flipping a coin or something. <laughs> but yeah, apparently he's like just his presence alone freaks the shit out of people. And then there's Mr. Boots, sometimes called the Watcher. He is described as a tall, shabby man who sticks to the back section of the vault. According to legend, Mr. Boots murdered a woman and kept the body in his house in the vaults. He throws stones at anyone who dares to approach the spot where the body was stashed, but his name comes from the fact that he is commonly encountered as menacing, heavily booted footsteps following visitors through the back vaults. Mr. Boots is also the ghost who allegedly photobombed Emma Surgenor's, Surgenor's picture of her sister Lauren in July 2015. And I have that picture. Show I'll, it to I me. I will. We'll get to it. The vaults have been investigated by our friend Zach Bagans hmm. uh, and the Ghost Adventures crew. Also, Most Haunted, which is the UK TV show. And some of the TV show called Joe Swash Believes in Ghosts. Mm. Um, Zach begins. <laughs> apparently the most notable ghost sighting is of a man with no face. Which I thought was in, like, why isn't he listed on the, you know, again, like, that is, like, kind of the tourist sign. So I guess, like, they need to keep it spooky, but without positively scaring, like, yeah. all of their tourists away. Yeah, because out of all of those descriptions, the man with no face is the scariest. To yeah. Me. <laughs> and before we move on to the next one, we also went to the, I think, the Clare Street Vaults. For whatever reason, I couldn't find, uh, like, basically any information on it. What were the other ones that we went to? Because we went to two different kinds, or yes, two so different ones. Yeah, like, we did two tours. And uh, so they were the South Bridge ones. Oh, okay. Uh, the ones that I just mentioned and I think the other ones are the Clare Street Vault which has like the famous the room the room for uh, it's just filled with like children's dolls yeah and stuff and for me like that was way creepier than the other one yeah there was also a section like when we went down there like first of all going down to any of them is fucking insane because you're literally like I we don't have basements where we're from so it was completely alien kind of experience experience well, first it, of all especially like the fact that you walk in what looks like basically there's a row of like terrace houses buildings like with yeah. businesses and shit and one of the doors looks like it would just be a door to an upstairs apartment or something yeah and you go through there down this hallway down some steps and then boom yeah and it all looks dodgy because it all looks like, you know, like in the horror movies where you're like, you're looking at the people doing the shit and you're like, you really shouldn't be doing that because you're going to end up dead. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And that's what it looked like. And even like when you step into this corridor first off the street, you know, your tour guide has to get everybody in. So 
let's say there's 15 people. Well, not now because, you know, yeah, the apocalypse. But at the time, there was about 15 of us all standing in this pretty narrow hallway that looked like, you know, had been redecorated in maybe the 90s or something. And then they have to lock the door behind them. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, probably only like not even a minute, you are just locked in this corridor with no way in, no way out mm-hmm. before you go down the stairs and just into this pitch dark room. They ha- only have it lit with candles, right? Mm-hmm. And then the tour guide himself or herself obviously has a torch. Or a flashlight. A uh, flashlight, yeah. Um, and yeah, you're just down into these dank, wet basically like they just look like man-made caves yeah like it's crazy because or you you go down there and you know in your logical mind that this is a tour right but for me personally the other part of me was saying was just screaming to escape like you have to get out of here danger danger (laughs) you know like that was the other part of me that you know like one of those it was like in my head is like I just Against described it like a cat like... trying to get yeah. the fuck out. Yeah, like the fleet, the fight or flight thing. I yeah, just wanted yeah. to flight the fuck out there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so then you come, you're in this, I guess, like welcoming vault, like the uh-huh. wherever, like where the stairs comes down into. And then you go from there into almost like a corridor between like both sides. Yeah, and this is for the Clare Street one, right? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, the the tour guide kind of tells you all the spooky shit that goes on down there or whatever. And then you go across into another uh, vault. And it's just the back wall is lined with dolls. Decaying children's dolls. dolls decaying in the fucking damp, dark yeah, underground. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so just like while we were there, we were there in a couple of weeks after friends of ours had gotten married. And so on my phone, I had downloaded this app at the night, the night before their wedding, because we were basically just, you know, trying to kill time. Mm-hmm. Our friends, Craig and Katie. Yeah. Shout out Craig and Katie. We love you. Yay. Um but yeah, so we downloaded it and just as a like a joke, like, you know, we weren't anyway. Every time I used it, it kind of was like pretty on the nose. You know, it's one of these like it generates random fucking words. Mm-hmm. So we put it on going down here and the whole like walk up to the place and stuff like that. Absolutely nothing came up. And then either just before we went down or just as we got down there, it just came up basement right mm-hmm. i don't remember you turning it on when we went to the first set of vaults you had it on yeah yeah i had mm. it on because this was the first night that we did it this was the fir- first tour that we took and uh yeah so the first thing that comes up is basement and then we go through into the next room with all the dolls and the word that came up was play and that was all we got as far as I can remember. And, uh, you know, it was just spooky as shit. And then we left and we did like a little tour of the... Um, well, like in that vault, there was supposed to be... Like it was very small, obviously. Um, to the left was a corridor that would take you to the kids room or the kids vault. 
but to the right there was um there was it, it looked like it could take you it, it wasn't a corridor it, it was a corridor but it was filled kind of and to get to the other side to the other part of the vault you had to crawl in like there was no way for you because you could clearly see just by looking there's a path and at the end of that path is a bigger vault like a bigger expanse but in order to get to that you had to go through the corridor which was very small like i don't know what they had or what kind of material it was but you it, you you could only go from one end to the other by crawling because the space was so small right, right. and because they had been filled with robo at one stage yeah. presumably so apparently our tour guide had told us if there has been people who look down there like to sort of just see what's there because obviously they're not going to fucking crawl one they're not going to crawl through that little you know space and two i'm pretty sure the tour guide wouldn't let them but yeah. because it's still very unsteady down there like it's a risk going down there um uh but they said that it people would peer into there and some people did see like shadows or just things there that they couldn't explain you know they look yeah. like humanoids and supposedly if they did see something down there it was supposed to follow you home oh shit okay yeah so Yikes. that's why i didn't i purpose like i quickly glanced in that direction but i was like fuck that i'm not trying to see nothing on accident and yeah. have it follow me home because i remember i don't know whether i was you know paying too much attention to my app or whatever mm -hmm. i completely missed that mm -hmm. and then i turned around to you and i was like oh when can we go down there and you were like that was your chance like you just missed it so yeah anyway uh yeah, so that was our experience in the vaults on the first night. And the second night we went down, it was a different tour. Um, I will be shouting them out. Where is it? Um, yeah, I'm very glad we, we uh, went to the second one. It took us a while to find it because we were, we were like every every time we searched vaults, it just kept us, it kept taking us to the first one that we went to, which was very short. It was really informative, but it was very short and it only took us to like a very small part of this huge labyrinth of underground city. Yeah. And like the tour was fine. It was like that. It was much more historical, mm -hmm. uh, historically based and would have been fine for children, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, brave children. maybe. Yeah. I think I think and uh, what also was in our favor is that we we brought a toy like we read up on this before we went yeah and we bought a kinder egg um and we left it there for the kids who died in those vaults and i think maybe that might have helped us not get touched by ghosts <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway so the next night then we did it's the city of the dead tours and oh. i will one thousand percent recommend them yeah much less uh theatrical Mm -hmm. then the other one like the first tour because th there's a, a bunch of different tours so i'm not like shitting on one in particular but you know the, the first tour that we did like the dude was dressed up in old-timey clothes and mm -hmm. you know th that's fine but this was a little bit more our cup of tea mm -hmm. we met the tour guide lovely lady mm -hmm. and she brought us down into the vaults a different set of vaults um the south bridge ones and because when I watched the most haunted episode, they like go through the same door and all that. And you can be like, oh, look, there's whatever. But this time she brings us down 
I had the app running again. And this night we didn't get anything, I don't think. There was like a few no. words, but I can't remember. Uh, I remember one of the words being green. And we didn't understand why it was pulling up green when we were going through the different vaults. But um, then we went to... We were walking through a passageway that actually did have a functioning green light in it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which is so fucking random. Like super random. Yeah. Yeah, because there's not supposed to be any sort of electrical like, light exactly. in there. Yeah. And it's then, all set up with nice little candles and stuff. And for it to be so specific to say green, you know. Yeah. Lights are generally not green. <laughs> yeah. And like that, we uh, anytime we do anything like this, we both tend to be pretty fucking skeptical mm -hmm. but anyway so that happened and while we were down in the, in the vaults this time the lady whose torch was really shitty by the way mm -hmm. uh she turned off her light i was so angry it was pitch pitch dark advanced darkness yeah like i'm literally could not see your hand in front of your face and as i'm standing there you know just trying to be calm and like listen for any weird shit Someone steps on my fucking foot. Scared the shit out of me. But it was like, you know, this poor other tourist that was right beside us. As soon as the lights went off, she just immediately, like, moved to the closest person, I guess. Mm. Which was me. Um, but yeah, other than that, there was nothing actually down in the vaults that freaked us out, per se. What I thought was pretty interesting is that when we went down, um, the first, I guess... A capsule or area the vault. vault was huge that so that was the double height room that was massive yeah that's i wasn't expecting that especially after the first tour it was really tall like high ceiling thing and it just it blows my mind thinking back on it because we're under a city yeah yeah you know what i'm saying it just at any moment the shit could collapse on you. Well, I mean, it's been standing for fucking a hundred and something years or two hundred years, you know. Yeah, but, but so was the city. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But they used to build things properly back in the day. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but yeah, I think you can actually rent out that room for, for like functions and stuff. There was also we we had to like cross like a like a little bridge thing because. There's actually there was actually a set of apartments whose back door oh, go, yeah. opens up to this bridge and that bridge connects to the vaults. And so the tour guide was telling us that that place, that apart particular apartment room or unit yeah. is vacant because people who move in there shit always happens. Yeah, they literally cannot keep the place yeah. filled. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's right. So, like, can you imagine? Why is there even a fucking door there? You know what I mean? Yeah, they sh why they just should fucking close that shit off. Yeah. Anyway, so that was our experience in the vaults, and now I'm gonna move on to the next um, section. So, did we go back to the graveyard for this, or the kirkyard? They explained the difference: a churchyard or kirkyard is a graveyard, a cemetery that is directly attached on the grounds of a church. Whereas a graveyard is just its own freestanding lot of, you know, place where you plant bodies. Somewhere between 1998 and 2000, 
again, read all the different things, typical ghost story stuff, very hard to pin down. On a dark and stormy night, an unfortunate homeless man is desperately looking for somewhere to shelter for the night and somehow stumbles across an open mausoleum in Greyfriars Kirkyard and thinks to himself, any port in the storm. Literally, he's just like, this will be grand. So he walks on into this mausoleum, you know, nice and dry or whatever in here, goes straight down to the back, tries to get comfy, when all of a sudden, the ground just crumbles beneath his feet. There's a lot of variance at this point in the story. Some say he landed in a coffin, bearing the remains of a 400-year-old corpse. Some say he fell through the coffin, dragging remains with him, and some say that he actually landed in a hidden plague pit beneath the grave. It is said that despite their age and how long they've been down there, these bodies, uh, due to being closed off like they were, like completely sealed off, basically would have been like frozen in a certain state of decay. So they would have just looked like zombies. Whoa. Like hair, flesh, the whole lot. Oh, shit. And then when I continued to read on in this, I did figure out that this is supposedly true. He did fall through the grave, uh, through the mausoleum floor, onto um, just a bunch of bodies that had been buried in a mass thing, so a mass grave. Regardless of whatever or whoever he disturbed, I think what he landed himself in was some serious shit. And then I have written pause for laughs. <laughs> no so anyway one one story one version of the story goes on from here to say that uh some fellow was walking his dog again in a heavy storm i don't know but he was walking past the graveyard at the same time as this poor lad lands in a big pile of bodies and he just hears all this screaming and wailing coming from the graveyard he looks into the graveyard and sees what must have looked like a soaking wet covered in corpse dust figure <laughs> come running screaming out of the mausoleum <laughs> like in the dark uh, this causes the dog walker to start screaming himself and they run off in opposite directions <laughs> screaming um the person who the grave who the mausoleum <laughs> you actually, can almost hear like the music in the in the background where it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a scene from scooby-doo or something <laughs> ah, ah. um Anyway, the person who the mausoleum actually belonged to was one Sir George Bloody Mackenzie, who was a 17th century lawyer and the Lord Advocate during the rule of Charles II. He was the man responsible for the imprisonment of 1,200 Presbyterian Covenanters, a group who supported a, Pres a Presbyterian Church of Scotland and tried to rebel against the Pro Protestants, I think. I've looked into this. It goes a lot deeper. If you're interested in that rebellion, go check it out. There's a lot of information out there. This is just a ghost story. Uh, so they were imprisoned in a section of the Greyfriars Kirkyard known as the Covenanters Prison since then. Um, over the course of four months, they were tortured, beaten, given no shelter, only given four ounces of bread per day each as food. Um some of the locals took pity on them and would feed them out of charity but their captors i guess were only giving them you know the bare minimum yeah just to paint you a word picture though like because you would think okay 
so what if they didn't offer them shelter because they're in a prison anyway technically it's a shelter so imagine like it's just four walls no roof there's just iron bars to keep yeah. you in it was basically just a courtyard yeah so no roof no roof they were exposed to the elements in, in scotland in fucking scotland so some were executed a lot of them just died due to being due to exposure um and apparently their heads were placed on spikes on the surrounding walls just to make a show of them by the end of the four months the remaining 257 men were sentenced to be sent overseas this is how the english populated their colonies by the way america and australia they would just send their quote-unquote criminals uh, you're that america your descendants are just criminals yep or slaves yeah yep, basically um anyway better than everybody else <laughs> so these 257 men were sent off on a ship the ship was wrecked and there was only 48 survivors out of 1200 people Apparently a few did escape, but I can't imagine it was all that many. And I'm sure the ones that did escape were probably fucking caught. Anyway, this is where Mackenzie picked up the name Bloody Mackenzie. And it's spelled B-L-U-I-D-Y. But I think that's just like the old English name. The old timey. Yeah. And since that fateful night in 1998 or 1999 or 2000, all sorts of reports from random cold and hot spots to scratches on people and so many mysterious injuries that the city actually decided to lock the gates of the Covenanters prison for good and close it off to the public because like that this graveyard is a big tourist attraction so prior to about 20 something years ago anyone could just ramble around and take a look at the graves and the prison itself those gates are still locked to this day and the only way to gain access to it is by taking a tour with City of the Dead Tours, whose owner, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Jan Andrew Henderson, who was living in a house in the graveyard at the time, managed to get permission from the local council, quote, to see if anything unexplained happened. <laughs> so he was actually very clever about this. He is an author. I don't know if he was an author before this or not, but he said himself, like, this also gave, gave him access to every witness to enter the Covenanters prison. So any paranormal phenomena, they would report back to him. And as like he was the one giving tours as well at the time. So hot spots, cold spots, cuts, bruises, burns, photographs of an unidentified shape in the tomb, sightings of a white figure, unexplained smells, auditory anomalies such as knocking, going coming from underground and within the tomb itself dead animals are found completely unmarked in front of the tomb as if they just dropped dead right there people have complained of hair pulling something grabbing them and one or two reports of full-blown possession according to the website the area is plagued by fires and in october 2003 a fire swept through henderson's house and also the tour company offices destroying years worth of letters and photographs and statements all concerning the Mackenzie poltergeist and i will say before anyone gets smart poltergeist the Mackenzie poltergeist is just the name that you know took on i guess from media or whatever it's not necessarily purely poltergeist activity 
because people are like seeing shit too. Henderson goes on to say, I don't know what the Mackenzie poltergeist it really is. I don't know if it's a supernatural entity, a pheromone cloud, a demon, or a set of psychosomatic and hysterical reactions. All have been suggested, but it has become the best documented supernatural case of all time and probably the most conclusive. If the Mackenzie poltergeist isn't a genuine supernatural entity, then I don't think there's any such thing, not anywhere in the world. And he, like I said, like you can go onto the City of the Dead tours website and buy the books, which I will be doing. And I would recommend anyone else to do it as well, because I'm sure it's a great collection. Right, so now I'm going to read an article or a section of an article from the Vancouver Sun, which was written by Tara Carmen in 2014. So basically, this girl and her friends were on vacation in Edinburgh in 2003, and they took this tour. So, we ended up at a gated-off section of Greyfriars Cemetery with a row of small mausoleums on either side and a path down the middle. Our guide told us this section was off-limits to the public except through this tour company. During the tour, because there have been a lot of people actually passing out and stuff as well in the mausoleum, uh, they get you to crowd into it. You actually stand in the mausoleum where the, this homeless man fell through onto the fucking plague pit or whatever you want to call it. All right, and this is the article again. The guide started talking, but I have no idea what he said. I remember a woman bursting into tears and leaving the mausoleum. I remember at one point feeling what I can best describe as a mild, mild electric shock under my feet. I closed my eyes and silently repeated a Buddhist mantra my dad taught me when I was little and having recurring nightmares. I had no idea if it, was if it would help, but it made me feel better. Shannon was also mouthing a Wiccan chant. She later recalled feeling anxious and slightly sick. Our friend Robin didn't react at all. When we came out, Robin asked us how long we'd been in there. Ten minutes, my sister said. Robin replied that he had no memory of anything that happened in there. I thought Robin was just trying to scare us, so I didn't pay much attention. My main concern was getting the heck out of there. I felt like I needed a shower. But Shannon and Robin wanted to check out Mackenzie's tomb, so they peered through the metal bars while I waited a little ways away. They both stepped back in perfect unison. They had been startled by a noise, which Shannon said sounded like the snarling of an animal. I said I thought we should leave, but Robin went back to the tomb to see if he could hear the noise. Suddenly he jumped back, covering his ear. It feels like my ear is on fire, he said. I suggested again that we leave. As we waited for the bus to our hostel, Robin complained that his stomach hurt. When he lifted his shirt, there were three distinct scratches across his stomach. He said he didn't know where they came from, but didn't have any memory of the time we were in the mausoleum. Shannon and I reasoned that he might have been nervous in there and had done it to himself. Robin agreed that this was probably what had happened. At this point, I became excruciatingly aware of every itch and twinge in my body. A few minutes later, Robin said his back hurt. We checked, and there were three more scratches. This too, we reasoned away. Maybe Robin had somehow scratched his back while he was leaning against the wall of the mausoleum. When the bus came, Shannon and Robin sat next to each other, and I sat across the, the aisle. 
Robin kept nodding off, slumping against Shannon, and then waking up with a start as if he'd been jolted awake. When Shannon asked him why he was doing this, he said he was unaware that he was doing anything. Robin can be dramatic, and it would not be out of character for him to play a joke on us, so I was not overly worried. We got back to the hostel, ordered three Kahlua mudslides, and sat in a lounge overlooking the sea. We'd been there maybe five minutes when Robin jumped up suddenly, yelling in pain. My chest, he shouted, taking off his shirt. I think I may have screamed, I don't really remember. I do know that my sister was a lot calmer than I was. His chest was covered in scratches, but they were strangely symmetrical and looked like some kind of pictograph. There was a larger formation in the middle that looked like a circle with a cross on the top and and squiggly arrows on either side of it. There were other scratches on his upper arm and lower back that looked like marks that were left behind by fingernails. When Shannon lightly touched his arm, it left a handprint on his skin. The only thing I could think to do was email my dad because he was the only person I knew who had ever experienced something like this. He answered right away and said we should take Robin to the hospital. He also said that we should do the meditation I'd been doing in the mausoleum as a group. Shannon and Robin didn't think we needed to go to the hospital, but thought the meditation sounded like a good idea. If for no other reason, then it would calm us down. The meditation requires visualizing a dark crimson or rose color, and I had a shirt in our room that was about the right shade. I took the opportunity to thoroughly check myself over for scratches. Thankfully, I was clear, but I didn't go right back to join Shannon and Robin, who were in the hostel's backyard. Instead, I went to the front desk and called my dad, who reiterated that we should take Robin to the hospital. Making the call was a complete spur-of-the-moment decision. I had not mentioned it to the others. Meanwhile, Robin complained to Shannon that his stomach was upset, and Shannon said he might feel better if he threw up. She walked across the yard as Robin got sick in the bushes. When she looked back, she saw Robin rise from a kneeling position and start striding, very slowly and purposefully towards her. Something about the way he was moving and looking at her made her back away. It didn't look like Robin, she recalled later. She asked Robin if he was okay and saw his mouth move in response but couldn't hear him. She asked again as he came closer, backing up until she hit the wall of the hostel but still couldn't hear what he was saying. Robin told us later that he had been fighting a strong urge to take a run at Shannon, but when he finally caught up to her, he said he was feeling better. Shannon observed that I was taking a long time to get the shirt and Robin said I'd just got off the phone. The hostel's lobby was not visible from the backyard and I hadn't told either of them I'd be making a call, so I don't know how Robin could have known that. I ran into them at the door of the hostel and we decided to go to a hospital. When we explained to the hostel staff, who all seemed to be Australian, why we needed to go, they thought it was hilarious. Some of them even wanted pictures of Robin's scratches, and he was only too happy to oblige. A nurse at the hospital told us to go see a priest, but it was getting late and we were tired, so we just went back to the hostel. The next morning, in the cold hard light of day, Robin seemed fine, so we got a train bound for Inverness to look for the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) I like how they were like, oh, let's grab a train to go look for the Loch Ness Monster as if it's the most natural thing to do. Yeah, it's like, you know what? I'm feeling good now. Let's go find this bitch. Nessie? Because <laughs> um, she's there. 
She's fucking right, she is. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, that was just... I know that would probably was a little bit long-winded, but... It was good, though. Yeah, and I just... I think, kind of, for me, what I highlighted was the severity of some people's experiences versus, you know... Our own. Our own, and something that can seem, like, super mundane that people wouldn't even necessarily say, you know, oh, that was you know, a poltergeist or anything. Like, it did go on to say, that article that, you know, this dude Robin, like, just kind of refuses to talk about that ever since. And, like, they have no explanation. That's just what happened to them. Mm-hmm. But for us, um, to get back to our own personal experiences, that night, so this is our second night, nothing, other, like, outside of the, you know, weird app on our phone giving us slightly accurate answers. And again, for, when walking from one place to the next we didn't get a single thing when you go into this graveyard like before you get to the Cabernet's prison which is at the very back and separate they take you around because um there's a lot of famous names on the gravestones that people would recognize from harry potter and stuff like tom riddle and mcgonagall was mcgonagall there as well yeah but mcgonagall was the name was taken uh he was supposed to be like some poet but the reason why he was so famous was because he was so bad at poetry like his poetry was terrible yikes so (laughs) anyway while walking around there we got another like random word or two on our uh, or on my phone app and then we went into the Covenanters prison and we all crowded into the grave which in and of itself is like just a very spooky experience. I would highly recommend it. Um, but we kind of got separated in there, like within the group. We weren't standing right next to each other. No. And so for for myself, as the tour guide was, you know, telling us the story and, you know, your your senses are super heightened and you're in this little dark, dark space. Something, someone kept picking at my, my hood on my jacket and like it felt as though they were trying to get on top of me you know like i was in their way and they were trying to basically what i thought was happening was the exact same thing that had just happened in the vault earlier i thought someone was scared in the dark and kept trying to get close to me so i kept moving a little bit further and a little bit further and i was standing almost in the corner and this fucking person in my head it was a taller person who just kept brushing past my my hood with their Heads up, I'm not the tallest person out there. Hmm. So I assumed it was like, you know, just some big dude who kept brushing my hood and my jacket with like their shoulder or something. Not intentionally. And so the the lady's there giving us the, the run around and the story. And she shines her light into the corner where I'm standing and says, and over here, you know, people usually experience whatever or see something. And as she shines her light, I look behind me and there's nobody fucking there. So, who the fuck was pulling out my jacket? Who was phone? Who was phone? (laughs) And, like, you know, everybody said, like, that was my first physical experience with something that I can't really explain. This jacket that I was wearing, because this has happened to me since while wearing the same jacket, it's kind of a noisy uh, jacket, you know? So you can hear every, like, every time you, you move your arm or whatever, if you're in your pocket... There was someone pulling it and like plucking it like they were trying to, you know, intentionally piss me off. But yeah, I didn't 
freak out or like scream or do anything like that it was like we always say like people react differently to these things and it was kind of just a weird acceptance of like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we get outside and i tell dulce i was like someone was fucking pulling out my jacket in there i was yeah. like all hyped up yeah. and then um but what did you experience when we were in there um so in the opposite corner uh i guess not the opposite corner but the the next one over i saw in the corner of my eye like a really like a not a shadow because it was dark it was at nighttime but it was almost like it was darker than the darkness that was surrounding us and there was like a a white space in it it, it kind of just seemed like it was just like imagine slender man like kind of <laughs> like that just like this towering figure that looked like it was in in like a formal suit or something just kind of just hunched over in the, in the corner and i knew it was there and i I felt like it was resonate, you know, like I, if I felt it and I saw it in my peripheral, but I refused to look at it because in these kinds of situations, I'm that person that just refuses to give attention to things that are, that seem menacing or that seem like they're, they're negative. And this is something that I learned about myself because, you know, you always think, you know, if I'm in this kind of situation, this is how I react but you never really fucking know until you're in those situations. And that I noticed that when you and I were, ex we were both having experiences, we were just pretending like nothing was happening. Yeah. -da 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 -da. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how we reacted, you know? Um, and, and we share and we shared our experiences after we left the, the mausoleum. So like when we were walking back, uh, on our way back there was like this other mausoleum that you could see through because it had like a little like these little windows in the doorway and there were bars there so you could peek in and you know to see if you could see anything but you can look inside and I stuck my phone in there to try to snap pictures and then my phone just refused to take pictures yeah I have photos of just black wait your phone completely just wouldn't it wouldn't picture. take pictures that's oh, why shit. i don't have photos okay because when i went up to it and stuck my phone through mm -hmm. i had my flash on and the phone was taking pictures mm -hmm. and i could see the the whole inside of the mausoleum light up because every time it did i was like please don't be anything there <laughs> <laughs> um but my phone wouldn't it saved the pictures and you can see the flash hitting off the bars and stuff which is why i moved it away from the bars and nothing it was just black pictures so sorry i didn't uh, realize that it happened to you as well so what we were left with was just a series of pretty interesting pictures of Mackenzie's grave actually with like this weird mist in it which obviously we will be sharing on um instagram and again just to reiterate we are very very skeptical so i'm not the type to like zoom in on one particular thing and be like oh my god it's an orb and there's a face in it but we did actually get a couple of orbs mm -hmm. um while there one in particular looks like if we were a different podcast maybe or a different group of people you would be saying these are the legs look you can see him walking through <laughs> um so yeah some interesting pictures and then some which are just straight up black or totally out of focus 
And uh, yeah, so that was our personal experience. And also, just to top it off, because we weren't expecting to have like a super haunted weekend, we like to do these, you know, ghost tours just as much as anyone else. We have a an interest in just like, you know, the dark history of places and the macabre in general. So I did book us like a, what I thought was a really nice old hotel. Um, and it turns out these older hotels have rooms the size of a fucking shoebox. So when we got there, there was no lift. There was no elevator, which I knew. I did read that in fairness. And we didn't have a whole lot of stuff. So we carried all our stuff to the top of the stairs or like three or four floors up, wherever. It wasn't too bad. And here's me expecting this delightful, you know, I think I had booked like it was said, like, you know, whatever suite. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. Like, I'm going to score with Dulce so hard. Yeah, like, she's going to love me. <laughs> we open the door and it basically hits the other fucking wall. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the hotel. It was a really nice hotel, but just the room was teeny tiny. Yeah, and, like, the but the hallways gave you the creeps. Oh, yeah, the hallways were spooky. Like, it was, it was definitely one of those things, like, okay, we're in here now. Yeah. Let's not leave the room. Yeah, and like they had like weird pictures in the hallways of people that you just felt like, oh god, they're gonna follow us like with their eyes and shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> but anyway, like just to give you an idea of how small the bathroom in this place was, it'd give you claustrophobia, and we're not exaggerating. Yeah, like Dulce said, she was afraid to sneeze in the shower <laughs> in case she headbutted the other wall and knocked herself the fuck out. <laughs> um, but anyway, they had like a an older kind of plasma screen TV. It was a it was a an old flat screen. Like it wasn't uh, wasn't ancient, but it wasn't like top of the fucking range either. It was you yeah. know run of the mill hotel television, which we didn't care about anyway. We had our laptop with us, so and we were going through a big friends binge at the time. Yeah. So that's all we watched. We watched our laptop. We were watching Netflix and Friends and shit like that, and. The first night, we actually woke up because there was, like, drunk people out on the street. Mm -hmm. But when we woke up, the TV was just turning itself on and off and on and off. Now, again, we hadn't even touched the remote, like, at all. And it wasn't even, like, the screen wasn't turning on. But you could hear the the noise it was making, like, you know, the... Yeah. and that high-pitched frequency noise that TV, the older TVs would make as if they're like gearing up or whatever constantly and neither of us mentioned it to each other we both noticed it we were both like hey want to watch some friends <laughs> <laughs> and we did that until we fell asleep again but yeah same thing the very next night and I think we were probably even more spooked out because you know we were afraid like oh shit did we just bring something back with us yeah but yeah so all in all very spooky weekend away yeah loved edinburgh would love to go back there would love to live there it's a beautiful place it's gorgeous yeah that castle like uh yeah. it's just it is a fucking uh, breathtaking place there you go there's some ghost stories for you and happy halloween Woo! <laughs> <laughs> all right listener story time by solik haunted Soul-lick. school so lick mm. um haunted school in neighborhood right then all right i'm working at a new school this year it's a building that was once an elementary school then a high school 
and now is an all kindergarten school. And then it's a daycare. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was fully remodeled when it became a high school. It's located in a very bad part of town that's known for gangs, drugs, and shootings. On many occasions, I have been seeing apparitions in the hallway when no one else is there. I can't really describe them. I guess they're more like shadow people rather than an actual ghostly figure. They disappear very fast. I see them walking next to me and sometimes hiding in the doorways of classrooms. Other times, I see them at the end of the hallway, walking through very fast or in corners. I've seen them both when the kids are in school and after hours, like after school and the weekends. There is a lot of negative energy in the school. My kids actually ha are very challenging, as are those in other classes. I know kindergartners are challenging, but some of these kids act possessed sometimes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have taught for years and have never encountered children this bad. My classroom is in a portable just outside the main building. When I'm by myself, I'm always hearing pounding or footsteps outside my portable. And when I look, no one's there. Whoa. I was working this weekend, getting things ready for the weekend, and was all by myself in the portable. There was another teacher inside the main building. I went into the main building to tell the teacher I was going to be leaving in a few minutes so she could set the security system or leave with me. It's not safe to be there by yourself. When I returned to my portable, I noticed the portable classroom right next to mine had all of its lights on. Assuming the teacher had arrived, I knocked on the door and said, Hello? But no one answered. The door was locked. I had not seen her in the main building, but thought maybe I had just missed her. So I called her extension, but no one answered. When I went back outside to knock on the door again, all the lights were off. I can hear when her door opens, and I did not hear anyone come or go. Since every teacher and employee has to sign in with the security system company when they come and go because a neighborhood's bad, I called them to make sure she hadn't checked in. They told me that I was the only teacher in the portables and there was one more teacher in the main building. No other employees at the school. No janitors either. By contract, they can only work weekdays. I got freaked out and left. I saw the teacher in that portable today and asked her if she by chance, if she was in her classroom this weekend. She said no. So like she had seen her on a, a separate day. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Today I was heading from the building to my portable. I saw some figures walking across the field between the street and the playground. I found it odd since there's a big fence between the street and the school. When I looked again, the figures were gone. I've felt so negative since working at this building. There is definitely a very strong negative energy surrounding the school and the area as a whole. I've mentioned the apparitions and the lights to other teachers, and while they have not experienced those, they have said they feel very uneasy being in the building by themselves. I don't know if the spirits I'm seeing are connected to the school or the neighborhood as a whole. 
Whatever they are, they're not good. And I don't know how to ignore them. They're freaky. <laughs> they're freaky. They are freaky. I have to say, I do love the listener story part. Probably my personally my favorite part of the episode because you know you tell me spooky stories and that's cool <laughs> we hope that everybody's enjoying their spooky season so far yeah we hope you're wearing your mask not just your halloween mask here yeah <laughs> yes i mean when you wear a halloween mask do you wear your regular mask i would wear it under it yeah oh, okay i mean not that i plan to wear my mask or uh, i'm sorry a holiday mask Wait, did you ever tell them what you were... No. We're not going to reveal it? No. Okay. Um, Until Halloween Day. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you know who I am, you'll know what it is. Because it's my profile picture. She's hiding in plain sight, everybody. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So, please don't forget to send us your own listener stories. Uh, you can DM us. Or email us at weeklycreep at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram is definitely our most um, used platform. Um, we've got our biggest following on there. And also, I am just bad at Twitter and Facebook. It's been a long time since I actually used them. Yeah, Instagram's just easier. Yeah, it's what we personally use and stuff anyway. So if you do want to reach out to us, Feel free to do it anywhere. You're going to get your fastest response through Instagram, though. Or email. Uh, or email. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you fucking want. I don't, it's up to you. Um, yeah, we're not your parents. <laughs> <laughs> also, wherever you listen to our podcast, please uh, subscribe, follow, like, rate, review, thumbs up, all that social media bullshit. Uh, share us with your friends. If you... If every listener told one friend about us and got them listening, that's going to double our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, right now, like, we appreciate all of our listeners and any of the new ones are also great. Yeah. Um, Talk to us, you know, let us know what you think of our episodes because, like, we think we're great. But we <laughs> want to know what you think. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one thing with both of us just complimenting each other on our stories. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, have a great weekend because it's Friday when yeah. this comes out. Yep. Have a great weekend, everybody. And thanks and don't for listening. Work, don't work for the weekend, you know? if you're, uh, Of course, if you're not in the service industry, you don't get weekends. But... Don't work for the weekend, man. You know, like be present. Be in the now. You know? Just just enjoy enjoy your life, man. It's that all gonna be okay. The lamest thing <laughs> I've ever fucking <laughs> it, it's it's gonna be okay, you know? If, if no one's told you it's gonna be okay, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now. You know, we're already at like two hours here that I have to edit out. It's gonna be okay. Alright, why is words my from Dulce? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks very much. Bye. See you next week. Bye.